Welcome to the Epiphany Movement Podcast. To learn more about the Epiphany Movement, visit us online at epiphanymovement.com. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's talk from Pastor Drake Nelson. So what's up? How y'all doing? Y'all doing all right? Y'all have a, uh, a good week so far. I hope, I hope you have. I got a question I want to ask, and the question is simple. It's this, is what is important? What's the most important thing in your life? I'll ask it another way. What's the irreducible minimum? Uh, if you boiled your life down, what is on that foundation? Some people, uh, for example, they go to the doctor, and the doctor gives them a diagnosis. And when they come back home, you'll typically see a lot of times that their priorities change. Their, what they desire kind of changes. Maybe they start spending more time with family because they know they only have a month or two months or three, four, or five months to live. So they start changing their way. Maybe they spend some of their money or some of their time. They change the direction of their life to what truly matters. You may see it, or another example, like in a house, like theoretically, if a house is burning down, okay, and you're running in the house and you have a minute, and you're not going to die or get burned or anything, but you have a minute just to go in the burning house and grab anything that's important, you'll kind of shift through everything, and you may have maybe a safe in the back that has a lot of your important documents in it that you grab, or maybe you have a keepsake that's so special, maybe from a parent or a grandparent, something that is so important to you, and so you grab that and you bring that out of that burning house. I've never been giving a diagnosis, and I've never really been in a burning house before, but I have moved. And when you move, you kind of want to do that thing where you kind of out with some of the old stuff and in with some of the new stuff. You really kind of separate what I need and want and kind of what's not important. Well, we just moved on this last, probably like six or eight months ago, and it was a unique move because we knew that we were only going to stay there for maybe a half year or eight months, something like that. So what we decided to do is everything that was essential that we needed to live, plates, cups, blankets, uh, chairs, things like that, we took to the new house down on 432. But everything that really wasn't super, I don't know, necessary, you know, we kind of left that in storage. And so we have all these boxes piled up in the old parsonage over there in the washing dryer room. Here's what it looks like. I took a picture of that this morning. I know it's super messy, but it's just a bunch of boxes on top of boxes and just a, a whole lot of storage that we have. And when you look at that picture, you may say, Drake, that's that's, uh, uh, that's, it's really messy and a bunch of the boxes are open. Yes, you're right. That's because my plan didn't work out the way that I thought it was going to work out. Because about a month later, someone calls me and tells me that I need a copy of my ordination and licensure uh, packet. And it was kind of in a frame and we had it boxed up really nice for tax purposes. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go try to find it. And I couldn't find it at the house, so I said, I bet it's in one of these boxes. So I just climb in, you know, and you just dive in and you go for it. I'm cutting boxes, opening it up, just trying to find this, this piece of paper that I need so bad to send a picture of. And finally, I get a call from my beautiful wife, and she says, Drake, um, 
what are you doing? And I say, well, I'm on the mountain right now of all our <laughs> boxes. Well, what's up? And she says, what are you looking for? So I tell her what I'm looking for. She says, Drake, I don't know exactly where it is, but I packed those boxes, and I know that it's not on the left side of the room. It's somewhere in a box, I believe, on the right side of the room. And that was helpful. She didn't tell me which box it was in, but it was helpful because she said, it's not in these boxes. And that's exactly what Solomon is going to do. Hypothetically, he is going to open up some boxes in his life and say, I've been there. I've done that. I tried this. And a person of wisdom, take me for my word. It's not there. The meaning, the purpose that you're trying to find, don't look here. And the temptation today is to leave here and still search there in those very same boxes. The temptation today is not to learn from somebody else's mistakes. A wise person learns from his own failures, but someone who is truly wise learns from the failures of others. And you do this every day, and you may not even know you do it. I've never seen anybody pull up to the gas pump, put their card in, da-da-da. No, no, I don't want the car wash. I don't want the hamburger inside. No, I don't want that. Yes, I do want the receipt, you know, and you pull that, 87. And Instead of putting the gas pump in your car, I've never seen anybody just start, you know, bathing with the stuff. Why? Because we've learned from other people that's not what it's for. Especially, I've never seen anybody, I don't know, light a cigarette right then and just get, catch everything, including themselves, on fire. I've never seen that. Why? Because we all, whether we know it or not, we've learned from other people. And so, let's learn from Solomon today. Let's learn from Solomon today. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes, if you have your Bible, you want to turn there. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to start right there in verse 1. And we're going to go, um, we got some points, some points that we're going to try to draw out today. And I didn't work hard for these points, I must tell you. Um, the, the text just brought them out. And so I'm just going to give you what the text says. And it's going to be real simple. And I'm just going to... Um, elevate those points, and then we'll ease on today, and you'll be at Georgia Blue before you know it. Uh, mom, this is my um, wonderful mom, by the way. She's supporting the MSU um, colors. Woo, woo. I don't know. Where are we going to go eat today? Can we go eat somewhere? I don't know. Where, can, uh, yeah, okay. I put it on the spotlight. Don't do that. Okay. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. A lot of people think that Ecclesiastes um, was written by Solomon. And uh, I think that it was also written by Solomon. Some people think that maybe it wasn't written by Solomon after all. They think that maybe it was written a couple of years after Solomon lived. But nevertheless, the subject is still Solomon. And they think that perhaps it was written around 1,000 years before Christ. So about 1,000 B.C. was when this text was written. And it begins and it says this, verse 1, These are the words of the teacher King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Now, this word teacher is going to appear a lot of times in the text. This word teacher, it kind of encompasses the word one who asks questions because a good teacher asks a lot of questions. He's going to take on the Socratic method right here. He's just going to begin to ask a lot of questions. Maybe you have a friend who asks a lot of questions. If you don't have a friend, maybe you have an eight-year-old who asks a lot of questions. Mom, are we almost there? Uh, why is this the way it is? That's, that's what Solomon's going to do. And learn from Solomon, by the way, because this man was given everything. 
In the book of 1 Kings, God appeared to Solomon in a vision. He said, Solomon, you can have anything you want. What will it be? And Solomon answered, just give me wisdom, God. I'll, just, I'll take wisdom. And because he said, you didn't ask for wealth and women and money and pleasure, since you didn't ask for any of that, you asked for wisdom, I'm actually going to give you the desires of your heart. And so God's going to bless Solomon with with. Uh, with all these things that he desires. Like, for example, he has 700 wives. Y'all didn't get that. He has 700 wives. <laughs> and he has 300 concubines. You're like, what is a concubine? That's like, a, it's, it's similar to a wife. You just don't have to get them a Valentine's Day present. It's my PG way that I'm going to say that. He had, I mean, Solomon has huge houses. It took him 13 years to build his houses. I was searching actually this week, and I found some pools that Solomon has. Today, you can go see Solomon's pools. 3,000 years later, you may have a pool in your backyard. I guarantee you 3,000 years from now, you're not going to be able to see it. Y'all, he was handsome. Not only was he handsome, but he was well-dressed. In fact, he was so well-dressed that Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 talks about how well Solomon was dressed. I mean, if Jesus is talking about your drill, you know, you're doing something right by the way you're dressing. This guy had it all. He's going to say, look, I've learned it. I, I can teach you. Learn. So let's learn from him. And he goes on in verse 2. Here's what he's going to say. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what a way to start. Just think if you was writing a book and you started it like this. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. Welcome to church. Verse 3. He says this, What do people gain for all of their hard work under the sun? That word gain, it's used ten times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It comes from the, the, the Hebrew word that means, what does, what does someone profit? So he's going to ask, your 76 years that you were given on earth, or however many breaths that you were given, however many days that you live, what did you profit from it? What do you have to show for every breath that you, that you, that you breathe, every word that you said, every day that you live? What do you have to profit? And then he goes to this word, under the sun. Under the sun, it appears 28 times. It's what we call a, 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 a it's not monopoly, but it sounds like that, a mortonomy. And what a a metonymy is, is it's a way of saying something without actually using the play. So, for example, if I said, y'all, I really like high school football. If I was going to say I really like high school football, I could say this, y'all, I love Friday night lights. And you would know that I'm talking about what? I'm talking about high school football. If I said that, y'all, I moved to the Bible Belt, you would know not exactly where I moved, but you would know I moved down south, particularly southeast, maybe Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, somewhere like that. It's a way of describing a place, not using its exact location. And that's exactly what Solomon's going to do. He's going to say, under the sun. In this world, I search for meaning. And in this world, here's what I discovered. And so we continue to read. And he says this in verse 4. He says, generations come and generations go. But the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun falls. And 
hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns and blows north. Around and around it goes. And blowing in circles, rivers run into the sea. And the sea yet never gets full. Then the water returns again. And the rivers, and it flows out again to the sea. What's he saying? He's teaching you exactly what you learned in the second grade. The water cycle. But it's this monogamous, this difficult grind that we get, that we have. And the point number one that he's going to bring out is don't get stuck in the rut of repetition. Saying, what does this mean? He, he, what he's trying to say is that it's, it's, it's kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. Fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, first period, second period, third period, fourth period, fifth period, sixth, seventh period, graduate to high school, ninth, tenth, graduate to college, and then the real rat race begins. And the sun comes up. And then the sun goes down. The sun comes up and the sun goes down. And we wake up, we go to class, we learn something, we go to sleep, we study, we wake up, the sun rises and the sun sets. And then we graduate and then we get a job. And then it's winter, spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, summer. Sun goes up, sun goes down. You go into work. You hopefully have a productive day. You get home. You eat a meal. You go to sleep. You wake up. You go to work. You eat a meal. You go to sleep. And you repeat this. And then you have children. And you wake up. And you take them to school. You fix their lunch. You pick them up. You go back to work. You come home. You make dinner. Sun goes up. Sun comes down. And then you die. That's where all of our destinies are headed, right out there. And He is wanting to wake us up, church. He is wanting to wake us up to say, don't get caught in the mundane cycle of life of another day and another day and another day and let me do this and let me do that. The sun goes up and the sun rises. He's saying, don't get caught in the rut of your routine because it will get some people and most people will spend their lives chasing something that they will never catch. I'll tell you what. The earthworm has to be the best predator that there ever has been because it eats tigers, it eats lions, it eats bears, and hear me real carefully, I don't mean to bum you out, but it will eat us. That's where we are going to end up. And I know that's heavy, but he wants that to be heavy. To get that. Um, it's kind of funny that as we kind of begin to live our life, we kind of start to chase after these things, and he's even going to bring, bring this up in the next little chapter, but he's going to say, um, verse 8, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we, we hear, we are never content. We always chase after that thing that's, that's, that's new, that, that we want to grab. 
And what he's going to start to bring into our ideas this morning is he's going to start to say, hey, look, your name, as much as you want people to remember it, they're not going to remember it. As much as you want to build your profile, it's not going to matter. 300 years from now, nobody will know that you were even alive. People are going to be walking around like looking at, wow, these are, you have to actually have to drive these tractors. Look at this, look at these ruins, you know, what's going on? Oh, wow. Look at this car. Look at this house. We're going to be dust in the wind, completely forgotten. He's going to go on and say this. Verse 9, history repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations. No one will remember what we are doing now. What, what, what is he saying? Does anybody know their grandparents? Just raise your hands. If you know the names of your grandparents, raise your hands. I see a bunch of people. I, a lot of people, um, raise your hands. You know the name of your grandparents. Now, um, raise your hand if you know the name of your grandparents' grandparents. So your grandparents' grandparents, if you know their name, you raise your hand. That's a lot less people. That's a lot less people. What he's saying is that in generations, people will not remember you. You may have your name on a building, but that building will be brought down. And I know that that's heavy, but it's also very, very, very liberating. Why? Everybody just take a deep breath real quick. Just do it with me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, y'all. It really doesn't. Either people remember we are here or not. It's going to be okay. And he says, that there's nothing new. Do you see this in verse uh, 10? There's actually nothing new under the sun. Many times we think, what do you mean that there's nothing new? I heard a story the other day of, of a king who ruled in the, the 1100s, and this king built up an amazing castle. It was a beautiful castle, but it was in the middle of his kingdom. And it was very unguarded. So one day he brought one of his peasants in and one of his servants in, and he said, hey, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a wall around this castle. It's a very beautiful castle, but it has no protection. Build a hedge of protection around it so that I can go and we can dwell there. So the peasant says, okay, and he creates a team, and he brings a lot of people, and they go, and they're going to start to build that fortification. And one brick at a time, they place it, and they mold it, and they shape it, and finally he gets that amazing wall built takes him about a year, and so finally the king rides out to see his brand new wall and his brand new place to stay. And as he gets there, he looks at his servant and he says, what have you done? And the servant says, you, want it? you asked me to build a wall. And he says, yeah, but I don't have a castle anymore. He said, you didn't say to keep the castle. What this peasant had done is he took all the bricks out of the castle and used it to build the wall that was around the castle. So he had an amazing wall but he didn't have a castle anymore. 
And that's how it is with us. We think, hey, that, look at this new thing. It's just an old brick placed in a different spot. We think, hey, look, the iPhone 14 is brand new. It's just like the 13, which was just like the 12. We think, well, the iPhone's new. Communication is nothing new. Information is nothing new. Distraction, entertainment, it's nothing new. It's just a new way to look at it. The temptation that we face, we look at our children and our grandchildren who are facing some of the most difficult temptation, and we ask the question, how are they going to make it through it? But what this text is bringing out is that it's nothing new. It's the same temptations that there always has been. You're either going to open up these boxes and live your life trying to bring out what was in those, or you're going to run after Christ. That's the temptation. He says it always has been like that. The only thing different now is that we don't have that wall of protection around any children that we have. Your children don't have it as much as you want to protect your children. They're, not, they're going to be exposed to things at such a younger age now than there ever has been before. The temptation has always been there, and it is the same. It's just reaching us at a younger age. So we have to make those decisions being really young. It's the same temptations, though. Verse 12 now, he's going to kind of just begin to talk on that. And, 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 I, and I love, he's about to kind of go into these things that he sought out for his life. And one of the things that he's going to say that he seeks is, is, is this turning point in the Scripture. It's the turning point in the chapter. He said, I give you my intro. Now, let me say, these are the boxes that I tried to find my, my certificate in. Did that wake you up when I talked in this right here? So he's going, to, he's, he's going to start the experiment. Here's what he's going to say. Verse 12, I the teacher, I was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. What did I devote myself? First box he's going to say is, I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. And I soon discovered that God dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it was all meaningless, like chasing after the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. It's going to say, I chased after being the smartest person that I could possibly be. I graduated top of my class. I was valedictorian. When I got to college, I... I got all the pedigrees that I could have. I got more uh, doctorates and, and uh, initials after my name than you could imagine. And I said, I strained for wisdom. I read all the books. I tried to get as much knowledge as I could possibly get. And at the end of the day, I found it was foolish. Listen to me. Trying to, to, to sharpen your brain isn't a bad thing. It's what he's going to say. He says, it's not meaningless to sharpen your brain. What's meaningless is when you make an idol out of that. It's not bad to sharpen, but it's terrible to worship because your brain, as good as it is, and as much as you try to sharpen it, you will have, and you will be sitting one day, not only will you forget your car keys, you will forget your car. You will forget how to drive it. You will forget your children's names. It's what's waiting all of us. Our brain, our understanding, it will break down. It will dissolve. And so as much as we try to gain us the wisdom that we can, hear me, don't worship it. 
The first box that he's going to open is going to be something called um, Hello Wisdom. And he's going to go on to that and he's going to say, Look, I, I tried to pursue this. Verse 16, he said, I said to myself, Look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom. I have greater knowledge than any of them. He's saying, Look, I, because I'm so wise, I have I've risen up to the top of the ladder because of what I know. I ascended to the highest position of power and I achieved it all and it was nothing verse 17 so I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly but I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing after the wind and he's going to explain what he means and so in chapter 2 in verse 1 he's going to say I chase after wisdom and folly here's what I mean verse 1 I said to myself come let's try pleasure let's look for the good things in life but I found that this too was meaningless so I said laughter is silly what good does it do to seek pleasure after much thought I decided to cheer myself with wine and while still seeking wisdom I clutched at folliness in this way I tried to experience only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world what did he try next? He tried seeking pleasure. Y'all, this man, he has so much money. He was filthy rich. Actually, his equivalence would have been about 2.2 million, no, billion, no, trillion dollars in today's time. He had more money than Elon Musk, than Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs, Donald Trump. Warren Buffett combined. Combined. This man was loaded. If you look it up in Google, richest man in history, first name that's going to pop up, King Solomon. Why? Because even the secular world gets this man had it all. So what he did one time, he had 22,000 cows. And he wanted to have a party. So he invited everybody in, any, in all of Israel, hey, come to this party. And he slaughtered all 22,000 cows of his cows to feed the party. And after he did that, he said, well, I need some wine. He dedicated an entire vineyard. You think that your, I don't know, like barrel of beer uh, at college was amazing? Look, we had this crate of beer. Oh, yeah. Your case, you think that's crazy? What's it called, a Craig, a keg? This dude had a vineyard to spend on people. Not only that, but it says that he had dancers and singers I mean, imagine having Ed Sheeran and Drake and Taylor Swift and, I don't know, Johnny Cash for the, you know, the, the wiser among us. He had all them at his party. All the singers. He had everything that he could ever ask. And he lived it up. And he said, it's meaningless. I, 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 I didn't find anything here. He said, so don't run here. Don't try to think that I can live it up. I can try to run as fast as I can so I want people to like me and people to accept me. I'm going to run as far as I can to, to, to drink it up, to eat, to party, to have all this success or, or, or f fake success around me so it looks like I'm laughing and I'm having a good time. He said, I've tried it and it's useless. It's meaningless. I didn't profit. I didn't gain. So he says, don't open the box because nothing is in there. And hear me really carefully. Many times we run to alcohol to numb, but what actually sometimes ends up happening is the very things that enslave us in the end. Sometimes the things that we run to become what enslaves us in the end. So he says, don't open the box. Don't 
try to achieve this. He's going to keep going in verse 12. Skip down a little ways into verse 12. Um, matter of fact, uh, let's go to verse 4. Skip up a little bit. Chapter 2, verse 4. And it says this, I also try to find meaning by building huge homes for myself. And by planting beautiful vineyards, I made gardens and, and, and parks, and I, I filled them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect water. We talked about that earlier. To irrigate my flourishing groves, I brought slaves, both men and women and others who were born into my household. I also loaned large herds and flocks, more than any other kings, and I had lived in Jerusalem before me. Look, He says, look, I tried to build the big house. I tried to have the expensive car. I tried all the projects. I got caught up in the, the hustle and the bustle in life and I kept running after what I thought was going to make me happy, what was going to bring me satisfaction. He said, look, you can run to the lake house. You can run to the brand new truck. You can run to the, 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 the ATV that you always wanted. You can run to whatever it is that, that is on your heart and you can gain it and you still won't have pleasure. I mean, I love what Tom Brady said. Tom Brady, after winning his third Super Bowl, he was married to a, a supermodel. Um, Giselle Boots, she was a Victoria's Secret supermodel, married to her, have all the money in the world that they could ever need, a three-time Super Bowl champion. Just won the Super Bowl. Comes off the field, the interview asked Tom Brady, said, Mr. Brady, sir, said, you are the best football player to ever play. You seem like you have everything you want. What's next for you? And he looks at the interviewer and he says, there has to be more than this there has to be something else and that's what Solomon is saying he said, you can try your best to fulfill what you have by building and by doing and by having and by creating I love what Jimmy Buffett said he said how much money is enough and he says one more dollar one more dollar and we chase after all these things and it's one more dollar one more dollar one more dollar one more dollar. Hey, your family's leaving you. One more dollar. Hey, your marriage is falling apart. One more dollar. Hey, your children don't know you. Hey, one more dollar. Hey, you're losing your health. One more dollar. And we would destroy ourselves by always trying to gain that one extra thing. And I'm telling you, it's not going to be worth it because the next thing that you gain, something new is going to come and take its place and you're going to want that. You're always going to be wanting something else. What was Rockefeller known for? I'm sure you know. But it wasn't his happiness. What was Bill Gates known for? I'm sure you know. But it wasn't his happiness. What was Warren Buffett known for? I'm sure you know. But it wasn't his joy and his charisma. You can run after all these things, but unless you know what the one thing that you should run after, it's not going to fulfill you. So now we turn the page and we're on Ecclesiastes 2, verse 18. And he's going to shift and he's going to say, listen, I have one more thing that I want to devote my life to. I'm going to devote my life to work. Verse 18, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth. For I must leave it to others and everything that I have earned. And who can tell whether my successor will be wise or will be foolish? Yet they will control everything that I have. So he says, I gave my life to working day after day after day. I, I went into work and I punched the clock and I gave it as much as I had. He said, I got through it all. And guess what? They didn't even know my name. 
I had a story the other day about a man who was fresh out of college and he got his dream job working at Ergon. And he went to the Ergon meeting and as he was sitting around, all his buddies, the head macho, the macho man, he was retiring that same day. So he punched in the office first day on the job and he walked to the back and the man, they had a huge party at the back for him and so they kind of scurry on to the back and it was him and a couple of his friends surrounding him. And the man, the leader of Ergon, he sits there and they have a company prize and what they do is they say, look, you've worked here for 40 some odd years, you've given your life, you're dedicated, all this dedication, they give him a watch. They give him a box, they give him a plaque. And my friend, friend's guy that was sitting beside him, he said, that, that's an expensive watch. And he said, what do you mean? He said, that watch right there? What kind is it? Is it Rolex? He said, no, 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 no. That cost him his marriage. Cost it his family. Cost it his children. He said, we can run after work, but when it's all in, somebody else is going to fill our spot and they won't even know that we're there. I'm not even joking, y'all. I, 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 my conscience is clear before me. I, I, if I could make y'all understand this, I, I, would t- I would die. Like if somebody came up to me right now and said, Drake, if they would just get what you preached on today, what Solomon's trying to make us understand, if, if they would all get it, would you give your life for it? And I would say, absolutely. Why? Because you would change the world. This is so important. What Saul is saying, what Solomon is saying, he says, y'all quit, it's not worth it. It's not worth it, y'all. To run after buildings or, or pleasure or your work, you're going to give your life away for what? That? He says, then you run after money and possessions or, or wisdom and you try to become as smart as you can. He says, you run after all these things and it's for nothing. It's for nothing. This is the only thing that's going to matter at the end. It's what you do with Jesus Christ. The only thing that's going to matter at the end is your relationship with Him. Are you running after that today? Are you giving your life to that? Or are you chasing all this stuff that doesn't matter? I want you so bad to get this. Because it will change your life. It doesn't matter. What people think what you do, what you have, the only thing that matters, the irreducible minimum of it all is your relationship to Christ and what you do for Him. I, I didn't know, I don't know how I'm going to end this, but, but it, I, I, I'll tell you what. I think every single person in this room right now needs to come down. I really do think that way because I think at some point we all strive after those things and we need to ask God, God, would you just, would you just strip away all these things that I've been running after and, and let me just put you at the center. And so as Miss Melanie plays and Miss Diane comes, I'm not even going to pray. I'm just going to invite everybody if you want to and if you are able to come down here and put your knees on the ground and say, Christ, would you let me center you first? Let me revolve my life around you, Christ. And so if you're able and if you can come, you come as we pray. And we're going to pray and then we'll finish up with our sermon.
scripture I wanted to read today comes from Matthew 6. And it says this. It says, Don't store up your treasures here on earth where moths will eat them and thieves break in and steal them or rust destroys them, but store up your treasures in heaven. For where your treasures are, there the desire of your heart will also be. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for everything that you've given us. God, we love you. God, we pray that we would put you first in our lives, that we would not try to open the boxes that have already been opened by so many, but we would just run after you, Christ, with everything that we have. We pray for all families represented here as well. God, we love you, and we thank you. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Thank you all for coming. Y'all have a great week.